Alrighty, uh, good morning one more time. Uh, it's time to get serious <laughs> after the silliness that just ensued. Uh, no, honestly, uh, really, really great passage in the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at today. So actually, I'd like to start off with prayer before we even get into introduction and the reading of the word. So pray with me, would you please? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this beautiful day. Uh, but Lord, we thank you for this day uh, in so many ways and for so many reasons, but mainly, Lord, that we get to uh, come here and worship you, um, to, to, to show you and each other that uh, we put you first on the first day of the week. We love you. And we come here and we, 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 we want to respond to the fact that you have loved us so well and so graciously, and you continue to do that, and you always will. So, Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. We pray, Lord, today uh, I ask, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would, um, you would bring your words, Lord Jesus, through the Spirit today, alive. Uh, you would really encourage our hearts today, because it is very encouraging, but it's also a, a huge challenge, Lord. And so I just pray that you would, you would encourage us even in that. And I pray that we would see your word and hear your word afresh today, words that are we know we've heard a lot before, maybe. And for those who haven't, I pray this would be really, really illuminating in their hearts and their minds to who you really are, Jesus. So I ask for your blessings now in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 14 today. And uh, it's our series called The Good Life, uh, Human Flourishing According to Jesus. We've been in it for quite a while. Um, I'm going to say a couple times this is kind of like the conclusion to the sermon. It is. It's a conclusion to a very large chunk of the sermon, but there are at least two more Sundays to go uh, in the actual finishing it up because Jesus adds a few, you know, what might be called addendums. And, and they're, they're wonderful. They're, they're helpful. Um, but today is really remarkable. We're getting to the point where he's now finished some of his really amazing teachings uh, about, yeah, lust, anger, human relationship-oriented issues. Um, two weeks ago, we looked at judging, critical judging, and, and we saw and we learned that what Jesus wanted us to understand was not that judging is wrong, but there's a form of judging that is really wrong. And, and you're, you're judging of your brother or sister by looking into their eye, that speck that is in their eye, which is really metaphorical to the hurt, the pain, maybe the sin that's in their hearts, is impossible for you to judge effectively if there's a plank in your own eye. So it was an amazing lesson. And it's you know, self-awareness, but also being self-critical first and, and remembering that you're a sinner too, now you can go and help your brother or your sister who, who needs your help. And so it was really, really a, a wonderful passage. And um, again, it's about human relationships. Well, as I already said, today we're at the conclusion of this big swath that started in chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus said to his disciples, to those who were listening to him, your righteousness is going to have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes if... You want to enter my kingdom. And then he goes on to, to tell us what that looks like and, and how to get in. And then once you're in the kingdom, how to behave. How to behave so that you will be truly salt and light in this world today. So let me read the text and then we'll dive into our message for today. 
Beginning in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There's a lot there, right? Seems like it's a bit all over the map to a certain extent, right? Well, it's Jesus preaching here, so it's not. So we need to look at this. So I, I got to start with a question. You know me, it can start this way sometimes. And I ask questions of myself, but also I ask questions of, okay, what's, what, what are we learning here? What's this text about? So my question for you this morning is, do you consider yourself a follower? Right? And I, I'm speaking mostly of the general sense. Right? We know that as Christians, I know this, I believe this is true, that as Christians, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, which that word literally means follower or learner. But actually, the question I'm asking is in more the general sense to get us oriented here, right? Are you a follower? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest to you um, that none of us really want to be described as a follower in the general sense in our world today, do we? I don't. The reason for that is, is because there's a negative connotation that I think that comes with it, and that is that it might suggest that you're the type of person who can't really think for themselves, right? You, you, uh, you're dependent on others, or worse, you're easily led along. You're just a follower, right? which, which ends up basically coming to the conclusion that, well, you're not a leader, Right? I'll also go out on a limb and say that I do, in the generic sense, follow a lot of different things, a lot of different people, not always good. So that's part of why I asked the question. So think about it. Think about, here's one that I think will help you orient to the point I want to get to today. Think about social media. Hmm? Anybody ever use that at all? Like, how did they set that up? Whether, whether Facebook, Instagram, and especially Twitter, how did they set that up? What's it about? It's about followers. Right? And, and it's, it's about getting more followers. And so again, how did they set that up? Well, if you want more people to follow you, you need to start following a lot of people so that they will what? Follow you back. Now, how did they even in the first place imagine that that might be something that would be popular? Well, hint, they know that we're followers. They know that if it's put out there in a certain way that, that you will follow. Of course, they want you to follow their platform more than anything else. 
So, have you ever marveled when you look on, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, how many followers some people have? Right? I see some numbers and I go, wow, that's a lot of followers. I would never follow that person personally, but a lot of people are following that person. Right? So then I started looking at my own, you know, who I'm following, and listen, for the most part, most of the people I follow, I'm not saying I'm you know, more righteous than you are, but most of them are Christian pastors, Christian authors, theologians, etc., ministries of different kinds. And, and when I looked at you know, some of them, you know, like Gospel Coalition and a few others, the, the average was that, you know, obviously I'm following some pretty good entities because they would have anywhere from, being, from a half a million followers to about, about three million. Well, that's, a, that's quite a few followers, right? I mean, I'd be happy if that many people followed me, but very small, right, in comparison. But then I started looking around, and I just couldn't believe it. It's nothing compared to, for example, Justin Bieber. Anybody heard of him? How many followers do you think he has? 91 million. Okay, that's, you know... He wears baggy pants, and he's a, he's a musician. He's very popular. I get it. I get it. Here's one for you. Selena Gomez. Anybody heard of her? 350 million. That's almost the population of the United States. So, again, that, that's just, I think, bringing us to the point. A lot of people like to follow. So, where am I going with this, you're asking? Good question. Uh, in his conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, which we will look at today, this is basically the conclusion, Jesus is going to compare for us two roads or paths or ways that have very, very, very different destinations, strikingly different destinations. He's also going to show us today that there are only two ways or two paths to follow the way of the kingdom, or the way of the world. There's no middle way. Oh, all of us try to find one. Like one foot in, and you know, right? There's only two. And that's his point that he wants to get across to us today. So now the way Jesus presents this is, from our cultures and theirs and that day's perspective, I think it, it, it's like coming literally out of left field. It's like, it is so countercultural in that day and today for sure, to put it mildly. So today, here's how we're going to have to do this in order, I, I think, to see what he's wanting to get at. We're going to have to start at the end, at the last two verses, and then go back to the beginning and then end in the middle, okay? I have a sermon title for you. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got is the sermon title for today, and the sermon title for today is this way to life. It's like, a, just imagine a one-way sign. This way to life. No three points, that is the point, okay? So let's begin. Verse 13. Just a few words in the beginning of verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. This is conclusioning. He, he's been teaching these amazing things, and then he's looking at his disciples that are at his feet and these thousands of people who are there still listening to him, and he throws that on the table. Enter by the narrow gate. That is an odd thing to say. That's very odd because they know what a gate is. So I, I believe we had to stop there for this reason. Remember 
the whole of his sermon has been about the good life, about human flourishing, who has it and why, what it looks like, and what it looks like to live that good life. And that, again, is very countercultural. So now he's saying, first of all, that the way or path to that life is, look at this, definite article, the narrow gate. That's the way to life. The point is, there's one gate, just one gate, and only one gate that Jesus tells us to enter by. He doesn't recommend any other philosophies, any other religious beliefs, or one gate. That, that singularity is very important, and the definite article is very important for us to see here today. So then he describes, look, the other way. Right away he goes to, so that's the first statement, but then he goes right into describing the other way when he says, for the gate, again, definite article, is wide, or some of your translations will translate that broad, which I think is a good translation. And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many followers. So this, my friends, is one of the two ways I just mentioned, and you you, you can guess which one it is, right? It's the way of the world. This gate, we are told, is wide or broad. It is apparently the easy way, apparently, But Jesus says it leads to destruction, which is bad enough, but even worse, many will choose it. Many, many will choose it. And so we can conclude two things from that. First, it's the path that the vast majority of the people in the world are on. That's the first thing that we have to conclude from that, and that is what he's saying, and that's what he means. I had this thought, do you remember when you're, you're young at some point where you, you may have gone to your mom, particularly your mom, because mom was probably easier to, I'm not saying moms, you're weak, I'm not, but maybe to, to, to get you to give them your way rather than dad, and you'd go to your mom and you'd, you'd say something, you know, you know like, I, I want to go do this, or I want to be part of this, or there's a party tonight, and I want to go, and I want to do that, right? And, and, and it, then we would say something like, everybody's doing it, thinking it, and everybody's going. Now, my mom, Eunice was a very wise woman, right? And she would look at me and say something like, well, everybody is wrong. Right? But her classic one was classic. It was awesome. You know, and I would really be, come on, I just want to, I want to do it. And then she would say, if everyone was running off a cliff, Glenn, would you follow them? Anybody? It's pretty wise. I didn't know my mother knew the Bible so well. But that's what we all do, I think. At some point, we just we want to go that way. And thankfully, there are sometimes some people who will tell us that's probably not the right way to go, right? So I've also often said this, that as Christians, when it comes to what the Bible teaches or actually says, that if the vast majority of people in our culture agree on any of the hot-button cultural issues, no need to mention those this morning, it's probably not what the Bible teaches, Did you hear that? If the world is in complete agreement that this, that, whatever is, yeah, we're in agreement on that. That's and 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 you know, having read your Bible at least once, that that's probably not what the Bible teaches. Then you know that's the wrong way. It's just 
it, it's one way of seeing it. it it's so truly countercultural that we can be sure most of the time that if the majority of the people in the world also disagree with what we believe the Bible says, the Bible's probably right. It's a rule of thumb that I think you should try to apply once in a while, if not all the time. So, what about this word easy? <laughs> that, that's an interesting word, right? Because, like, who, who, want, who wants a hard path, right? A hard life. Like, what, that's a very important word here. So, why is the way of the world easy as compared to the way of the kingdom is the question, which Jesus says is hard. Well, for starters... Jesus is actually depicting for his hearers. Again, they hear words in the original Aramaic, which is what he would have spoken, and they hear gate. They know what that is. That typically is he's speaking about gates that are, are the, the entrance to a city or a, a metropolitan area, a large place where people live. And so he's describing for them this, this massive entrance, which actually it's a large entrance. The gate is very large. It's open, and once you're it, the, then from there, it's like a, a boulevard, a huge opening comes after that, and it's just easy. And so what he's describing for them here is a, a, a gate where there's no tolls, there's no price of admission, there's no tickets required, which then opens to a massive broad boulevard. The road has a wide entrance, is spacious, meaning it's easy to locate and get onto. It's very attractive, and its most attractive feature is the many. Everyone's welcome. <laughs> it's everyone's welcome here. That's appealing. Or to use a modern term, it's totally inclusive. Anyone can come. We have a sign. We used to have our sign that was on the street. I don't know if it still says that, our, you know, the Rock Church, everyone welcome. <laughs> well, of course, but... So because of its size, there are no limitations, listen, also to baggage. You can take anything along that you please. You do not have to leave anything behind. To stay on it, all you have to do is follow your heart. Absolutely no effort is required. The implicit idea of this broad road is that it imposes absolutely no boundaries on what one thinks or how they live their lives. The virtues of this road are open-mindedness and pluralism culturally. In his commentary, uh, Kent R. Hughes described the inclusiveness and the diversity of this wide road this way. On the wide road, if your thing is nature, that's fine. That's okay. If it's meditation, that's okay too. If it's morality or sensuality, that's okay too. The road has plenty of room for everybody as long as one's thinking does not turn to value judgments. He goes on and says, It is okay to compare and contrast philosophies, but to say that one is better than the other is anathema. And I love this concluding sentence. The relative is absolutized, and the absolute is relativized. He's a wise commentator. So a final and telling feature of may, or maybe attitude of those on the wide road is that they collectively listen. They collectively reject any suggestion that a narrow way might be better. It doesn't make any sense. 
on one level, but it's also highly rejected. Despite Jesus saying it is the way to life. (laughs) So friends, let's be clear what Jesus says about that way, path, or road. What did he say? It leads to destruction. So now he speaks to those who are Christians. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So look at the contrast. Let me show you the contrast here. Narrow replaces wide. Uh, Hard replaces easy. But listen, life replaces destruction, and few replaces many. Honestly, if if you're hearing this for the first time, I, I feel for you. Right? This, it, this is very challenging teaching. So the key word that we need to now spend some time on is the word narrow. Right? We need to look at that word. I think it's very much misunderstood, even in the church. And I also want to suggest to you, if there's one thing that you and I don't like even more than being called a follower, is to be called narrow. Anybody? Do you like that when people call you narrow? But isn't that what a lot of people call Christians? You're narrow-minded. You've got a closed mind. You're very narrow-minded. And look, some of us are maybe too far in that way of thinking, again, not understanding the definition rightly. But that's how we're described. Of course, one of the reasons for that is the exclusivity, the biblical teaching that proclaims that Jesus is the only way, that there's no other way to God to receive the forgiveness of our sins and therefore no other way to eternal life in heaven with God but through, the, but through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's exclusive. That is very narrow. That's why we're accused of that. It doesn't fly well on the wide road, does it? It just doesn't fly well. And therefore, we're tagged as narrow. So here's the rub, Christian. We don't enjoy this, do we? I don't enjoy people calling me narrow. I don't. I don't like that whatsoever. I mean, who would? But here's what's interesting. You and I might have, as I've already suggested, the wrong idea what narrow literally means. Now, before we get to that, though, I also have to say this, a word of encouragement related to the changes, uh, the charges, pardon me, from those who are on the wide road and how narrow we all are. I think sometimes some of us get intimidated by that. It it shuts us down. And what we fail to realize is what they don't realize. No offense, but they're just as narrow. It's just perceived differently. It's just different. So let me explain. First, Saying Jesus can't be the only way, can't be the only way, is, come on, it's narrowing it a little bit. I mean, you know, sure, I'm more open-minded. I, I, I believe that maybe, you know, Buddha could be the way, or meditation could be the way, or whatever. Hinduism could be the way. Uh, but no, not Jesus being the only way. So that's, that, that's a bit of a narrowing, isn't it? So now you and I could lean back in a little bit and go, hold on, yeah, but I I understand, I understand. But the the reality is is that what we believe and what we mean by that is that Jesus is the only way to the forgiveness of our sins and therefore uh, the ability to be able to be forgiven by God and welcome into his kingdom and to live with him forever when we die. 
To which someone could reply, yeah, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in life after death. I don't believe there's a God. Excuse me. (laughs) Is that not getting a little bit narrower? It's eliminating a lot of things. And so I, I just want to encourage you as a Christian, like, we, 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 what's the point? We, we want to we reach them. <laughs> we want them to know the truth. We don't want them to see us as terribly narrow people, but sometimes just to turn the table a little bit is to show that, hold on, that's, that's what you're doing too. Don't you see that? It kind of creates a bit of common ground in a discussion, I would suggest to you. And so, yeah, I feel like as Christians, the culture around us has been very, very good at shutting us down. Um, it, it's called cancel culture today, right? Um, that we've become anemic when it comes to boldly sharing the only hope that we or they have. And what is that? It's the gospel. And so let's not let that happen. So now let's look at that word. This word is remarkable. Because, again, in the Greek, we think it's just like, you know, it's narrow-minded and you know, maybe bigoted or those kind of things. The literal word means to squash. Like, I remember first reading that and thinking about that, going, well, that's interesting. One commentator uses the illustration to say, okay, like, you you see there's a, you you don't like bugs, but there's a very rather large bug on the floor of your your kitchen or whatever, and, and you look at that bug and you go, okay, so two things. What did you just do? You narrowed that bug, didn't you? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Sorry for those of you who think that's murder. Um, but but here, here's another thing you just did. Or what, what happened to that, that bug? Well, it was narrowed, but what else happened to it? It died. Oh. Oh, okay, hold on. That's interesting. One of the other ways I think that we misunderstand that word and this, this narrow gate business, and then some of you may have heard this and been taught this, and I, I shared this with Janice the other day. She goes, I never heard that. <laughs> I went, well, this illustration might not work. But I have heard this. I, I, I had the impression young, when I first became a Christian that the idea was is that not only is there this narrow gate, but there's this long, really, really, really long, narrow tunnel and, and what I have to do is I've got to be really, really good until I get to the other end of this tunnel, which is when I die, so that, whew, I'm in. Anybody? I mean, whether taught that or are you thinking that even today? Well, listen, let me be really clear. That's not the gospel. That itself is not the gospel. So let me propose to you this morning this way. Remember early on in the Sermon on the Mount, we heard Jesus lead off with the beautiful attitudes, right? Um, we, we reversed them a little bit, or we changed that first word from blessed to flourishing because that, in our modern language and life today, is m- maybe better understanding. I, I want to have it put on screen, the first beatitude, and it says this, blessed, flourishing are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, look at, I think the words that are highlighted there are important. Yes. So, so do you, even in the English, can you see the tense? Blessed are, when? When you die? No, now. Those who are poor in spirit. Who are, pardon me, poor in spirit. When? Now. (laughs) Present tense. And then I love this part. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Not will be. 
if you continue through this life, through that long, narrow tunnel, to be poor in spirit. No, these are character traits of those who are already through the gate. That's a beautiful picture. So this, friends, is when you and I are narrowed. When the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and minds, when we realize the wretched condition, which is why we, need to have this po- why we do have this poverty of spirit, we realize we've got nothing. We are so sinful. We are so far from God. We've got nothing. I've got not, not enough money, not enough good works, not enough charm to say to God, hey, nothing. We're dead in our trespasses and sin when we realize that we've got nothing based on our own efforts It's by the grace of God and forgiveness that we are then born again unto new life in Christ. And what happens at that moment? Well, we're narrowed. How? Our old self dies. That's why we get baptized. What are we doing? We're we're picturing that. The old Glenn is going into the water. Okay, he's old now. But when I was 23, I wasn't so old. He goes into the water. When he comes back out, who is he? He's a new creation in Christ. The, the gate is... Life is open. This is a blessing. So that, my friends, is in essence, that's the gospel. But it is also this. This is important. There's two sides to this message. That's the gospel. For those who have entered the gate... You're saved, you're born again, you're forgiven. You're walking in the way of life, or we're supposed to be, and we'll get to that in a sec. But it is also this. Remember verse 14. How does the wide road end again? Destruction. Okay, hold on. Is that not the ultimate narrowing? Yeah, it is. It's called eternal death. It's not called eternal life. Wow. Okay, Jesus, thank you for that message. That's his message. Why? Because he loves you, (laughs) and he loves me, and he wants us to be with him. But we need to enter. You must enter via the narrow gate. And so some of you as Christians are going, okay, 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 I get that. That's, wow, that's, that's, wow. I get that. But come on, Glenn, there's still this life, man. I know the old Glenn is supposed to be dead, but somehow he seems to come back out of the water every once in a while, right? And so, like, really, there is, the, is there really not that long road? Well, yes, there is, but it's called our sanctification. And here's what we know also as Christians. I'll repeat it one more time, and maybe for some of you it's new. But the idea is that our salvation is three-parted. It's complete in the first part in the sense that you are saved from the penalty of sin. When you enter through that narrow gate, you are saved from the penalty of sin. End of story. It's done. You can't lose that salvation. At least that's what we believe in our understanding of the Scripture. But then there's that part of our lives where we're still being saved, From what? From the power of sin that exists in this world today. We are. And Jesus is going to help us in a few minutes to learn how to do that better. 
But then the, the beautiful news is that one day we are going to be saved from the very presence of sin. That's called our glorification when we are with him. It's done forever. And so I, I kind of think of it this way. It's like, okay, the gate opened, I'm in. And in this life, this, this, my old self, the gate doors kind of want to... But no, the Lord's not going to let that happen. And then one day, it's, it's completely open. Never, ever do we have to fight and battle with that again. So that's our sanctification. And so until then, listen, Jesus gives us instruction. Help for how we live the life that we need to live today and that we can live in him and that he has prepared for us. So what's the first thing that he encourages us to do? Pretty simple. He encouraged us a few weeks ago when we looked at a different passage in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to encourage us to pray, right? And so we go back to verses 7 and 8 where he says, this is a prayer. He said, just just pray. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, pardon me, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay, so you, you, most of you, I think, know this, but... You know, there are two ways that this can be taken, right? Two ways that this sometimes is being interpret, interpreted. And, and one is kind of like the name it and claim it gospel, right? This is not the right way, okay? This is like turning God into a pinata, right? And the idea is what you do is you keep whacking that pinata and you keep whacking it and whacking it. I've been to birthday parties. And you do that until what? Until you get your candy or the toys or whatever's in that pinata, and, and I mean, that's why in some cases people have actually said they've, they've put this verse together with uh, James 4.2 where it says, you do not have because you do not what? Ask. You do not have because you do not ask. This is completely misunderstanding this verse, but it's also completely misunderstanding the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> this isn't about asking and seeking and knocking for our material needs. Is it? It isn't. Jesus is going to show us that explicitly in the next few verses. So what is it? It's daily going to our Lord and saying, yeah, those character traits, poverty of spirit, mourning over my sin, meekness, humility, righteousness, despite being persecuted, yeah, Lord, I need help. I I need you to fan the flames of those blessings in my life so that I can live this life that you've called me to. That's what Jesus is suggesting. And, and he then goes on and, and basically suggests to us is that the, 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 at the end of the day, you know, what did we read a few uh, weeks ago from the passage? It was like, you know, your, your father knows what you, that you need clothing. He knows you need food. He'll provide for you. Trust him. And that's what Jesus gets at when he says this in verse 9 and 10. Or which one of you If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. In verse 11, if you then who are evil, oh, I love that verse, I don't know, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So once again, we've seen this for weeks, Jesus is using one of his his, his lesser to greater comparisons is what he's doing here, right? He's saying if, if it is true of the lesser, then how much more so of the greater? That's the point he's trying to get at. So listen, the best of 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 earthly fathers. I'm not one of the best of the best of the best, but I've, I try, you know, I've tried to be. 
you know, would never give their child a stone if what they needed was bread. And I can guarantee you one thing. I would never give a snake to any one of my sons in, instead of sushi, okay? I still have one son who won't eat sushi. I don't know. Working on him, but... The comparison with your heavenly father? Seriously? <laughs> That's the point. There's absolutely no comparison. Amen? Like, what, what you need and I need daily, he's, he's going to provide, but he's also going to provide the best thing. It's going to be far, far beyond. There's no comparison. Our conclusion for today is, I think, the overall conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What is this? What is this known as? It's the golden rule, right? I remember Miss Nevin, when I was in grade 8, at Blessed Sacrament School, Catholic school, grade school, she would write that on the board. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mr. Davies, stop teasing the girls. Whatever, right? Um, I remember hearing that a lot when I was younger. And and it's the golden rule. It's possibly one of the most widely known verses in the Bible and most universally accepted. That's interesting. I mean, Gandhi, uh, most of you will know this as well, he saw this this verse as the capstone to the Sermon on the Mount, which he built his whole philosophy of nonviolence on. But this was the capstone. And he lived it out pretty well. He tried anyway. I read one commentary that this was interesting. The state of Kentucky Department of Motor Vehicles adapted the golden rule. When you got your certificate, your congratulations that you passed the test, it says on the certificate, treat other drivers as you would want to be treated. So in other words, when you're in the passing lane and you're going slow, move over, would you? Never felt that? Treat other drivers as you would want them to be treated. This sums it up. This sums up human relationships. And what I like about it the most is actually that it's actually not the golden rule. I I, I would suggest it's the golden vision. Many have said that and recognize it this way. It's overall the posture of Jesus. It's overall his posture and how we should see him. But listen, if it's his posture, it should be his followers as well. So friends, as people of the way, you know, that's what Christians were called before they were given the, the slur Christians. Like that, the, the, that title, that name Christian was like those Christians, right? Before we were known, the church was known as people of the way. May you and I, listen, be encouraged to follow hard after Jesus. To follow hard after Jesus every day so that others, listen, will discover the narrow way to life. Let's do that. Pray with me, would you?